Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi again, everybody. It's uh, Jungle Jim Jerome coming out with another episode of Inside Curling with our two World Curling Hall of Famers and pundits, Kevin Martin, of course, and the, the commissioner, the governor, the ambassador, Warren Hansen. Kevin is not well, okay? Kevin is not well. And uh, so if it was me, I'm not showing up, okay? <laughs> I'm not showing up. But Martino, the show must go on. And you're sitting there and you just told me, I'm sweating and drenched. <laughs> yeah oh man jimmy you're right the show must go on that's the rules of the game the show must go on stick around there's tons of curling that happened and tons more uh, that we're going to talk about on the show we'll be right back last rock eighth end up by two i don't think i'm i don't think i'm white i don't think you are either oh, oh. it's clean oh, don't oh. kill it then don't kill it Line's really good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. In my mind, I'm going to Carolina. Okay, boys, uh, I went to James Taylor last night. Kevin, yeah, you couldn't. You were too sick. Uh, Warren, you're doing too many other things. I've never seen so many old people show up at a concert in my life. Yeah, I was going to say, James Taylor, who is that? Yeah, he was. He's 74 years old. Uh, you know, you know when you walk into an arena, right? There's, uh, you know, the Rogers place is a gargantuan, beautiful thing. You know, most of them, uh, Kev and Warren, they have stairs. They can walk up or the escalator, okay? Nobody was walking up the stairs. People were limping with canes. But uh, anyway, tons of curling happened this week. We want to uh, thank all our sponsors, Sports Interaction. They bring you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost sponsors Mailbag. Uh, Coyote Tractor, who brought you the event this week, is uh, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. Storytime, we do it each and every week, is brought to you by Meridian. And we've got a guest in the house. That segment is brought to you by Goldline. Here's what's on the show today. The Coyote Tractor Champions Cup. Kevin, you were down there in Olds. It wrapped up this week. Uh, I don't know if there were surprises or not, but tons of Canadian teams were in the fold. The Canadian uh, Under-18 Championship finished in Oakville. The World Wheelchair Mixed Doubles in Finland. We're going to find out who medaled. And the World Juniors Championship gets underway Sunday, May 15th in Jan Koping, Sweden. Did I pronounce that right, Warren? You got it. Jan Koping. I'm like... Jan Yim Yim Yorom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Swedish name, Kev. Uh, we'll take, we're going to take a look at the teams involved and how the winner will be determined. We're always looking at formats for that. And Kevin, you got a bunch of curling clinics that you're going to start. Guess where I'm going to be to learn curling. I'm going to attend one of these clinics. 
They're happening over the next few months. Uh, Kev, you're going to tell us about that. Hot Rock Topics. Video streams become a big part of trying to watch sports, and curling is no exception. So today we're going to talk about curling and video streaming. Sportsnet's doing a great job, uh, Kev, bouncing around from each sheet and, and giving everyone all kinds of coverage. Mailbag. We got an email from Clint Reeves about curling instruction, which we always like to talk about. Story time was going to be Kevin, but we got to get we got to get him in shape. Uh, so Warren, you got a story for us? Oh, I wish to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> okay, what's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. You got to be 19 to play, and we want you to play responsibly. The Coyote Tractor Champions Cup ended on Sunday in Olds, Alberta. Kevin, you were there. Uh, all through the week. Bring us up to speed. What happened was great. I, I watched a bunch of it. The interesting thing about this event is the number of teams were playing their last game together. Of course, it's the season of, okay, we don't want to play with each other anymore. <laughs> uh, Christina Rutherford wrote a, a great article called Just a Brutal Time of Year, talking about just that, all these teams breaking up. Kev, what do you got for us? Well, first thing I want to say is a big congratulations to uh, to the old organizing committee. The building was absolutely jammed for the weekend. It was incredible, filled right up. So Jocelyn Peterman, her mom and dad are very involved. That's Nancy and Lowell. And uh, big congratulations to them for such a tremendous job putting on this event. The ice was incredible. Mark Shurek, who's done all the uh, slams so far, was actually under the weather. So uh, John Wall actually uh, did the ice and did an amazing job in Mark's uh, absence. So congratulations to him uh, as well. When it comes to the event, yeah, you're right. It was it was absolutely ripping everybody's hearts apart. It, 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 every game that where people were playing their last event as a team, all the tears and oh my goodness gracious, it was, it was uh, that part of it was incredible. I've never experienced anything like it and. Uh, Usually there are teams that split up after four years, but not every team or almost every team. So at the end of the of the games, there were two or three sheets where the, the teams wouldn't be together again. And oh, the emotions. And it was a very unique event. And as I said, the, the building was packed. The, the teams were fantastic. The ice was great. In the men's uh, final, it ended up being Team Gushu playing against Team Kui. And Kui came out like crazy in the first end, got a deuce. It looked like it was going to be a, a one-way event, and it was, except it was Gushu who ended up scoring end after end after end. Once the first end was done, it was an absolute trouncing, and who would have thought it? Kui got two in the first, Gushu got two back, stole one, stole three, stole two. Ouch. So yeah. just kind of one of those games it ended up eight to five, but it was eight to two after five, which was basically kind of over. On the women's side, you know, I really thought that Team Gim out of South Korea, they played so well in the semifinal. I thought they'd have a real good shot in the final. But you know what? Grand Slam finals are different. They're just different. The pressure of trying to win a Grand Slam and putting yourself at the, the top of curling's pedestal. Team Gim, they were just simply nervous. There's nothing more to be said than that. Uh, they got down 7-2 to two after 4. But then, I guess maybe the pressure released or whatever, they got one and five, and I actually went down to the ice surface to do the interview after six because I thought I thought it would be over. Mm-hmm. Kerry had to draw the forefoot against two, missed it. So then all of a sudden, now it's seven to five. So I go back upstairs, watch the next end. Sure enough, <laughs> Kerry comes close to making a double. Nope, seven, six. So it was a heck of a finish in the end. Team Gim really came on strong at the end, but it was just too much pressure at the start. One other thing I want to know, I want to recognize, and this is something Karik told me when I when he got home. 
He said, Dad, did you realize how many kids were out on the Saturday morning, the Grand Slam junior event that goes on Saturday morning? I said, no, no, Corey, no, I didn't show up until the game time. Mm-hmm. We need to talk more about what the Grand Slams do for building curling in these communities. So many players um, get involved with these young kids from the local community and they come out on the arena ice and they play on Saturday morning. Anyway, it was just a terrific event. And Clark said, Dad, you've got to promote that more. It's just fantastic what everybody's doing. So anyway, so that's what I'm doing. It's just saying it's just great to see so many young kids out there curling on the Grand Slam ice having a ball. We need to talk more about that kind of stuff because that's fabulous. We're going to do a little discussion today later in the show about some of the things Curling Canada is doing. But I think the more things that happen with the with the youth of the country and the world, all the better. I found interesting as well to add to your uh, your comment about the sorrow week. The great article again by Christina Rutherford, just a brutal time of year, I think is a great read for everybody on the sportsnet.ca. It brings out some interesting things, you know. This is the biggest uh, breakup we've ever had and and how emotional it was for so many of those players and you have to ask yourself to some degree some of those teams did a lot of success flurry jones gooey butcher and uh, they're breaking up which is a really interesting story and i thought in christina's uh, article was interesting she said basically and i think some of the players agreed with this it's time for a players association that's got to be formed and they did to come up with some rules and regulations as to how all this happens from uh, quad to quad because it's becoming, to some degree, intrusive. These teams are breaking up and it's all becoming public when they've got two and three events left in the year. And it makes it uh, very difficult for everyone. So they need to come up with some kind of rules as to how they're going to engage in the future. And from my point of view, I think there almost needs to be contracts uh, that these players have to have with each other when they form these teams. But some more discussion for the future and some other interesting things that's going to be happening for sure. I read the piece and uh, one of the things I took away from it is the fact that all these teams are breaking up and every comment from every player of a team that's breaking up, they all hate the fact they have to go through it. It was you know, sort of these platitudes. Yeah, we're looking forward to the new one, but but nobody likes it. Kev, you've been through it. What happens to you, Kev, when you got to pick up the phone and fire a guy or, or, or tell a guy you're moving on or you don't want him? Cannot be fun, Kevin. You know, that's the thing with curling is that the skips tend to be the manager. And that's, that's really hard, but uh, I certainly wouldn't do it over the phone. I, I, I definitely do all that type of stuff eye to eye. I think it's really important that you do that mm-hmm. and that you meet and say your piece. And over the years, I played for over 30 years, for goodness sake. So there's a lot of different teammates over the years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some were quite upset at the time. But if you do it properly and explain this whole situation, most are still really good friends of mine today, all these years later. So I think it's important that you just, you do what you have to do because it is a business you're running, you're trying to win. It's just really unfortunate that the skip, who is just a player on the team, it's just the the old way, the cultural way, the traditional way for curling teams in Canada to run, where it is not the case in all countries. But in Canada, the skip still runs the team. And if there has to be personnel changes, they have to do it. And that's really hard. It really is hard because a lot of times you're not good at that. You're, you're good at making curling shots. Like that's, that's what you need to do to be good at curling. You need to make shots. Mm-hmm. But then you're trying to be the general manager of this business, this team. And that might not be your strength, but you still have to do it. It's really kind of weird, Jim. Yeah. All you got to do is, uh, like like you had referred to, Kevin, is the emotion of these teams after. I mean, I was tearing up, you know, and, and guys who don't normally show emotion. 
Brad Jacobs, right? He was he was kind of needed a ton of consoling. But congratulations, Kevin. In that article, uh, you know, although you're retired, you need to be reminded what a mentor you are to many many players. Uh, Mark Kennedy talks about you in that article that Christina wrote, and uh, it 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 really does tell people what what you've meant to curling. So that's as nice as I'm going to be to you today, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's good. Good of you to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Warren, give us a wrap on the uh, under-18 championships that happened this past week in Oakville. Because of COVID, this event this year is kind of unique, and there was 21 teams on the men's side and 21 teams on the women's. On the women's side, a number of provinces had two teams. Alberta 1, skipped by Marla Plett, defeated Alberta 2, skipped by Claire Booth. Final score in that game was 5-1. So congratulations go out to Loren Miller, Alyssa Nedewin, Rachel Jakes, and Myla Plett. Familiar name in that group. I know that name, Nedowin. Yes, and that is the daughter of Dave and Heather Nedowin. Of course, we all know from the curling world who they are, so congratulations to that team, and in particular, Alyssa. On the men's side, Matt Drivitz of Saskatchewan defeated Nick Mauser of Nova Scotia. The final score was 5-4. to four. So Saskatchewan team number one are the winner. Congratulations to Jared Tessier, Carter Parento, Mikel Holm, and again, Mike Drivitz. The Drivitz team lost one game on their way to victory, and I should have mentioned that the Plitt team didn't lose any games on their way to being the champion. So congratulations to Curling Canada and everyone involved in this marvelous event. And I think this is one of the most important events in the Curling Canada any year as far as the future of the sport of curling is concerned. So we're in good stead, Warren, with our future. Well, I think we're getting there. Yeah, good. The wheelchair mixed doubles, Warren. The world championships were on in Finland. What happened there? Yes, this was an inaugural event, and as you mentioned, in Finland. Sweden came out the winner. It was an 18-nation championship. They won the final 7-5 over Hungary, so congratulations to Sabina Johansson and Marcus Holm. The bronze medal, Norway defeated Italy. Canada did not make the playoff round, unfortunately. So that concludes the World Mixed Doubles wheelchair for 2022. Uh, Kevin... I told you at the top of the show, I want to go to one of your clinics. Uh, you're going to be doing a number of these camps over the next few months. Fill us in. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I just thought it was important to, like, I, don't, I generally, generally don't like to talk about what, what I'm doing in these things, but I think it's important for the growth of curling, and we need more camps, not less. But I've got June 1st and 2nd in Minneapolis, and this is at a club that, of course, we talk about quite often. That's the Chazka Curling Club. This is involved with the Lupus Spiel, that is played in Minneapolis, and that's June 3rd to 5th. So on June 1st, we have a camp at Chazka Curling Club from 4.30 to 6.30 on ice, and each camp is individual, okay? And it tied in with the Lupus Foundation. June 2nd, uh, that's the next day in the afternoon, 1.30 to 3 o'clock, and that's a strategy session. That's in classroom. From 5 to 7, we're on ice. And you go to letscurelupus.org to sign up. Let's Cure Lupus. Dot org. And I've been working with the Lupus Foundation, Regan and Todd Burr. Todd Burr, of course, uh, a champion curler from the U.S., his wife, Regan. I don't know how many years now, uh, seven, eight years I've been working with, with them, with Lupus. So that's really good. Um, we've got a couple of camps in Kelowna coming up. We have an adult curling camp. That's going to be a ton of fun in Kelowna from July 4th to 7th. So you can just imagine, you go into Kelowna, do a little curling during the day, but you've got the lake, the beach, the golf courses, you name it. Cool. Then we've got a youth camp in Kelowna, July 11 to 14. And to sign up there, you just go onto the Kelowna Curling Club website, and it's all laid out nicely. Jock Tire, of course, a terrific uh, manager in Kelowna. We were working together on that. 
And then our yearly camp that we always have, uh, the Kevin Martin Green and Gold Curling Camp at the Savile Sports Center, August 26 to 28. Um, I just talked to Dana Ferguson. There are a few spots left, not many, but there are a few for that camp. So all of these camps, there are spots available. Uh, I did talk to Regan Burr, the camps in Minneapolis, and there are a couple spots, not much left, but there are a couple. So dive in there and we'll see you soon, everybody. So the one at Savile, Kevin, would you like me to come in there and head up one of the sessions to uh, maybe one of the in-classroom <laughs> yeah, ones? The sports psych one, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the psychology <laughs> sessions. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll straighten everybody out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, good stuff, Kev. Way to give back. That's awesome. Uh, before we leave, what's happening, Warren, in the curling world, we've got to talk about the world juniors that are coming up in May. Yes, this is the... Last curling event of the year officially, I do believe, and it's going to be in Jönköping, Sweden, starting on Sunday the 15th. And as usual, it'll be 10 men's teams, 10 women's teams at the world junior level. Normally, it would be the top six ranks in the world, along with three coming up from the B division playoff. But because of COVID, the B division playoff wasn't held this year, so they've simply taken the current top 10 ranks. Would have normally been nine, but the fact that Sweden is in there, they're the 10th team, so that's the way it's going to be determined. They'll play a round robin, and at the end of the round robin, the uh, four top-ranked teams will enter the playoffs, and that'll all conclude uh, the following weekend. So Canada's teams in this competition... And you may recall back in November when the Olympic trials were being held in Saskatoon, there was an event there being held at the same time, which was actually a, a Canadian junior championship to determine who was going to represent Canada in this championship. On the women's side, the team is from Northern Ontario. The skip is Isabella Lodisser. And on the men's side, they're from Nova Scotia. And the skip of that squad will be Owen Purcell. So we will bring you up to date next weekend on uh, what happened at the World Juniors. How'd you do in the World Juniors, Kev? Did you play? I should know this, but I don't. Yeah, we ended up losing the final of Scotland in, oh, what year was that? In 1986. We won Canada in 85. And then had a, we had a year to wait. Back then, you waited a year, and, and and that was tricky because I had, by then, the rest of my team were, were too old, so I actually had two teams going in 86. <laughs> it's kind of a weird uh, weird year, but it was really fun. In Dartmouth, Nova Scotia is where the uh, World Junior was, and it was fantastic. It was called the Uniroyal Junior, I think, Warren, back then. Yes, Uniroyal was a sponsor for, uh, I think, the first 10 years of that championship. Uh, I'm not sure when they actually departed, but it was around that time, shortly after you played in it, I believe. Warren, how did you do in the World Juniors in 1927? <laughs> yeah. Jim, that wasn't funny. <laughs> you know the pain I get. Warren gives me, I got to give it back once in a while. Yeah, all I got to play in was uh, was the Canadian version of the Juniors. And uh, the time I learned that it isn't over till it's over, we didn't make it to the Canadian Championship. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. That's what's happening around the curling world. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction uh, for bringing you that. Uh, now we want to talk about hot rock topics. Uh, this is good, real good topic. It's uh, Coyote Tractor brings you that. Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, Warren, you and I were talking last night. Uh, you can buy cable packages now. You want to watch hockey? You want to watch football? I said you can get 750 games, Warren. And you said, you correct me, going, I think you can get 1,300 now. Everyone's talking about video streaming. Uh, it's been in- introduced to the curling world. To a large degree, many curling fans are confused by streaming and how it is offered and who's providing the signal. And in some cases, who owns the rights? Conventional television signals are provided through the provision of cable and the access is pretty easy to restrict. Streaming is the same type of video signal, but it is being provided 
through the internet, of course, rather than cable. Fact is, just about anyone can provide a stream if they have access to a camera and a YouTube channel. So how is all this working, Warren? Uh, we've, we've got lots of people all the time after an event. They go, sure would be nice if they could just show a game on that sheet and, and leave that sheet out and, <laughs> and on and on and on. Uh, but it's not as easy as everyone thinks, is it, Warren? No, it isn't at all. And it's, it's the confusion of video streaming versus uh, a video cable production. And amongst other things, it's expensive, and uh, you have to produce a pretty good quality. So we're kind of at a change over a period of time, I believe, in the fact that if you talk to somebody over the age of 40, they're still pretty much getting all their curling via cable. But if they're under 40, it's probably on a stream. And of course, Sportsnet does a great job because if you are a cable subscriber with Sportsnet, you also get all the streaming offered to you as well, which is on Sportsnet now. So we're at a changeover period, and it's kind of, again, as I mentioned, it's age division. If you're older, you're probably getting it through cable. If you're younger, it's probably strictly streaming. And we're going to reach a point in time, I think, somewhere in the future as to when exactly that's going to happen. Who knows? But I think where everything is going to be streamed. But let's just talk about what's involved with providing a television signal so people understand the cost and how it's done. Because I hear on, on our Facebook group all the time, well, just put up a couple overhead cameras and show that sheet. Shouldn't be a problem. Uh, a regular television production of curling has a crew of about 35 people and a truck uh, from a camera position, uh, depending upon how it's being done, probably anywhere from five to seven cameras, RF mics, uh, very costly. How is this all paid for? Well, there's two ways you collect money from it. It's by advertising, but from the cable end of it, it's subscription. And so if you sell enough advertising and get enough cable subscriptions uh, to pay the cost of doing all this, you might make a dollar uh, in the process as well, which of course is the aim. The video streaming end of things isn't much different in the fact that, again, uh, you're going to pay a fee to, to get the stream. But we seem to have a notion out there that uh, video streaming is some kind of a, an offering that should be free to everyone. And again, you can certainly do a video stream inside of a curling club with a, a cell phone probably or, or a simple camera. And if you get on a YouTube, YouTube channel, you're, you're in business. But the quality of it is very poor. You're not going to probably have anybody more than family and friends watching it. And again, for all this stuff to move forward, we have to be careful that at the premium events, all this stuff is protected and done correctly. And I think many people think that uh, video streams should be happening from every sheet of ice. And I think I should point out that you're not going to get any more viewers by having four sheets rather than one. And what it comes down to is, again, how do you pay for it all and how do you make money out of it? Because virtually if you're going to do four sheets rather than one, you're going to have the same advertisers, the same sponsors. You're going to have to now ensure that they're exposed over all four of those streams or telecasts. So I think as we move forward here, you will we will reach a point in time where you will see a video signal coming from every sheet of ice. It happened this year at the Olympics, but we're not there yet, and uh, everybody has to be patient. I think what we're getting is pretty good for the sport of curling, and it's only going to get better. Well, it's better than, you know, you watch football or baseball. These people, some of these people are going, well, I should be able to just flip it back and forth to any football game I want or baseball. Kevin, walk us through how you guys do it during the broadcast. Uh, you got, you know, you got Mike Harris and Joe, uh, uh, and Joe and Rob and you doing that. Walk us through how you guys keep an eye on each game, Kevin, how you, how you show it to the audience. Well, it depends. So on a normal, like the normal traditional broadcast, you have one sheet of ice in play. And then there'll be an update person. It doesn't matter who. So Joan and myself and Rob are in the booth, say. So then Mike would be on the updates. So he would be outside the booth and he's watching mm -hmm. the other three games, not really watching the main game because we're doing that. 
And then when, when things happen, uh, Curtis Savile's our producer, and he's fantastic. So he's in contact with Mike all the time. And, oh, we got we need updates on A and Alpha and Delta. Perfect. So then mm-hmm. Mike will talk about what the shots are. We put it on camera, and we show it. Then we go back to our main game, which is the three of us in the booth. And that's how we do those. Now, on the Saturday, we do around the rings coverage, which I absolutely love. It's really tricky mm-hmm. from everybody, from cameraman to producer to director and in, in, in the booth, because we have to keep an eye on everything. Because say that Mike is in the update chair. He's sitting behind sheet A, say. So he'll have first say on, on Alpha. And then sheet B uh, will be Joan, sheet C will be me, and then Joan and I might share sheet D. But we've got to keep an eye on all the sheets constantly from one sheet to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, covering all four games. And it's really fun. It, it, the game goes by, it seems like a minute because you're so busy. But that's a totally different thing, and it's very uh, complex. But like I say, it's, it's, it's terrific. And that's the around-the-rings coverage that everybody gets to see on the quarters and semis during the Grand Slam, which is on Saturday, which is it's just so much fun. Uh, way to go, uh, Sportsnet, right, for doing that. Kevin, you nicknamed Warren the Iguana, remember, or the Gecko or something, because he had to keep his eye on everything. <laughs> the Lizard. Hey, the Lizard. Maybe you get that new handle now. You got to keep <laughs> We stole your handle, Warren. We, we laugh quite a bit. We laugh quite a bit in the booth because they're all exciting games. Sure. And so so I'll say I'm supposed to be watching Sheet C. I, I, Curtis is going to go to Sheet C right away. But I get wrapped up in Sheet A. I'm watching this great game that Mike's talking about. <laughs> and, and Mike's very good at his job, so he gets me interested. And, of course, I'm watching, watching, watching. And before long, of course, the overhead's shooting over to Sheet C. And now we're going to Sheet C. And I'm going, oh, no, that's me. What's going on here? So you got to figure out, okay, what's happening here? So it's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Yeah, well, you guys do a great job. Uh, thanks a lot to Coyote Tractor bringing you Hot Rock Topics. Uh, time to go to the mailbag. Uh, Nestle Boost brings you this. Up your nutrition game with Boost. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. And I drink it, and it's good. Clint Reeves uh, sends us an email. Hello. First off, I'd like to say I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for the event coverage, discussions, and the stories. I used to curl competitively in Manitoba junior men's, but I have been living in the U.S. for the last few years and have been able to start curling again through a couple of arena curling clubs, the first in Oklahoma City and now in Houston. Through them, I have participated in two Olympic cycles by teaching Learn to Curls, which are a key recruiting method for these clubs. The first time I did one, I searched Curling Canada's website for a guide, but was surprised that I found nothing but a path to be a coach. Number one, Curling Canada should create a standard way to teach grassroots curlers how to curl and provide these tools to all clubs. Number two, while I know some clubs are offering Learn to Curls to adults, I think that it should be a standard practice because it increases community engagement and will bring in some new members. Also, we consider curling to be Canada's sport, so we should be offering all new immigrants to Canada an opportunity to learn about it through these adult learn-to-curls. Thank you again for the podcast and a big thank you to all those hardworking volunteers at all the curling clubs. Cheers, Clint Reeves. Warren, what are your thoughts on that? Since we received Clint's uh, email, I've done a fair amount of digging to try and find out uh, a number of things, which seem to be kind of vague, a little cloudy. I, I will first throw out uh, a bouquet to Curling Canada. I listened to a fairly extensive podcast yesterday where Helen Radford explained in fair detail what they're about to do Canada-wide uh, that's going to be aimed at the member association, the curling centers, community organizations. They're investing about I think the figure was $217,000 on this. And basically, they're attempting to 
put out into the uh, the network a way to bring youth into the clubs, the facilities, and begin to teach them the basics of the game. I like the fact she talked a lot about doubles. She talked a lot about triples as being a key thing that uh, people have to start uh, becoming involved with. So I thought these are all very positive things. Uh, I think their challenge is probably going to be is implementation because this becomes a provincial responsibility. And again, in some provinces, this is probably going to happen pretty good because we've got some people here to do it, but I think they're going to have some struggles uh, elsewhere in the fact that to do anything of this magnitude is going to take a lot of people and train people. I know some people like Shannon Clybrink in Alberta is one example, uh, does some great work over there, but uh, she probably needs a lot of people working with her that uh, are qualified to do this. So I'm, I'm not sure if that situation does exist. But going into Clint's topic, I, I tried to find out more about what's out there as far as teaching adults and, and as far as having stuff recorded somewhere about how to properly deliver a sweep and so on. I, I found some rather astonishing things. And I'll go back to the old days when I first became involved with curling at the national level and we, we developed a teaching system was the first challenge going back in the 70s. Developed a level system where we were developing instructors at levels one, two, and three. At the same time, coaches were being paralleled. Somewhere along the line, this whole thing kind of disappeared and it became focused totally on coaching. So the instructing side of it disappeared. I know there are people out there in many parts of the country doing good work from an instruction point of view, but there doesn't seem to be any standard on this whole thing. Um, it's kind of, there are some suggestions on how you might do things, but I can't seem to find any standards. I can't seem to find anything that's uh, really written down or recorded. We even had Labatt's come forward and pay, it was then about $200,000 to develop what was called the Labatt Curling Instruction Series. It was six films. And those films were around and, and used in both Canada and U.S. extensively for almost 20 years, up until about 2000, till, till they became outdated. Uh, that type of thing doesn't seem to exist anymore where it goes into that kind of detail. And I look at curling, we're much uh, a sport like golf and tennis, I guess, and skiing that Yes, we need coaches, but probably more than coaches, we need people to instruct the game at the basic levels. And for having those people available on kind of on demand, uh, if somebody wants a lesson or wants to a tip about something that they can pick up the phone and dial someone. And I know this again is happening in some curling clubs. There are some people who may be available to do this type, type of thing, but generally it doesn't exist and it, it isn't well put together. It isn't well organized. I mean, when I started this thing back in the 70s, I ultimately saw that there would be curling pros attached to each club, just like golf or tennis, where you pay a fee and you can take a lesson. You can take a, a lesson for once a week, for two weeks, whatever you desire. And again, this is lacking, I think, uh, and having stuff recorded is lacking. And I just got involved in a Facebook group discussion that I came across by chance. And in that particular stream or thread, they were talking about sweeping 101. And I asked, where is sweeping 101 written down if someone wanted to reference it? And the only thing I could come out of that was, well, there are some articles that you could maybe tape it look at, but there's nothing in the way of a manual or, or anything in detail. So I think this is one thing that's lacking and something that uh, moving forward needs to happen is to there needs to be more emphasis put on putting stuff in paper, developing a standard and having probably instructors, or I wouldn't say coaches, instructors who are able to uh, to put this information forward to whoever wants it. Kevin, mm -hmm. uh, let's mark the week of May 8th, okay? Warren gave a bouquet to Curling Canada. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Nicely done. Nicely done. 
I appreciate their struggles to some degree. I mean, we're talking about something here that requires a, a lot of people, and these people need to be trained. And uh, I mean, Helen mentioned $217,000. Well, you can develop a national program, but to implement it uh, across the country for that amount of money, you couldn't even scratch the paint. So uh, they've got their challenges as well. What do you say, Kev? I think I've sent Warren our program that we use at the uh, University of Alberta. And so Rob Kreps and I have developed it over, gee whiz, I don't even know how many years now that Krebsy and I have done the academies together, but it's got to be f- close to 15 years. And we keep changing the manual. I think I sent you one about two years ago, didn't I, Warren? Yes, you did. Yep. It, it walks you through uh, how to throw it, sweeping, back end and front end responsibilities, all of this stuff. But but you're right. It's not done from a governing body. It's the Kevin Martin Curling Academy, so it's yep. it's not for everybody's use. But it was something that we worked on for a long time. Now you say about sweeping 101. Well, the sweeping part actually keeps changing every year. Yep. Right now, like it stayed the same for quite a while. But but sweeping has been changed. It's the biggest change in our sport in the last few years. So the instruction manual that would have been done five years ago is not the same as today at all with sweeping. Completely different. And uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing. It's 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 very much a moving target right now. Well, I think as we, we, you and I have talked uh, back in my time, we had a, a certification committee which was comprised of eight people that would be considered to be experts who met on an annual basis, sometimes semi-annual, and discussed all these things. And things were constantly being upgraded as new things were being discovered because this was all new. And, and it, it continues to uh, move forward. And I think it's it requires constant attention because things are always changing. Nothing stays the same. So, I mean, congratulations to, to you and Rob for putting together what you have. And hopefully maybe you and I have talked that uh, we can begin to use some of that stuff to uh, be a basis of setting up more professional teachers to be able to... Uh, give more detail about uh, the top competitive aspects of the sport to those who are interested. And maybe people who aren't even interested in becoming top players, they still want to know this stuff. They still want to try it. Right. Um, all kinds of people go to get uh, golf instruction in clinics. Um, years ago, I was at a clinic for a week on, on golf. Uh, it still didn't help, but I went anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it just reaffirmed you're not a very good golfer. That's what those clinics do for me. This is a whole area of curling that just hasn't evolved. Like I said, I, I saw in the 70s, I thought, my God, this is 2022. We would have uh, curling professionals by this point in time who are teaching curling for a living and doing it for probably 10 months of the year. But uh, there may be a few out there, but they're certainly not in any kind of a recognized group. And uh, they're just doing it as individuals. I know this over the course of the shows, we've had many, many different takes and input and uh, questions that people have about it. So we'll continue to talk about it more and more. Thanks a lot to Nestle Boost, who brings you the mailbag segment each and every week. And now it's time for a guest. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and there's two stores in Ottawa. They can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event, and online anytime, goldlinecurling.com. How should I put this? Our guest uh, is someone who needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give her one. It's Carrie Anderson is going to join us right now. Okay, as promised, everybody, uh, we thought it'd be time that we bring on a, a curler 
Kevin and Warren that uh, has had absolutely zero success, has been struggling like crazy, can't seem to put anything together, very tough time. <laughs> or hands down, the most successful curler, uh, crazy, crazy year. Congratulations, Carrie Anderson uh, is with us right now. Carrie, congratulations. Where do, where do we start? I know where we start. Uh, we were just saying off air, you were riding a bull last night. What's up with that? A mechanical bull. I'm uh, here in Vegas. So we, we uh, booked a uh, trip to Vegas like a few months back. We weren't sure if the Grand Slam was going to be a go or not. And uh, it was. So we ended up making the final. And my husband and our another couple we go with uh, had to fly in on uh, Sunday. And then I met them here yesterday. So, yeah, we're here in Vegas. <laughs> Christina Rutherford wrote an article for Sportsnet entitled just a brutal time of year talking about how many teams are breaking up don't tell me you're coming on here to make an announcement that your team's breaking up are they they're not are they no we don't want to break up anything that is working gonna go for another four years uh we still really enjoy each other's company on and off the ice and um we are still having plenty of success so uh we're definitely gonna stay together all the uh, all the cur- curlers who le- and we get a ton, of course, who listen to this podcast and high performance curlers listen to it. So they're writing down right now. They're going, okay, what does she do? Okay, I'm going to take up bull riding. That'll do. That's what I should do. <laughs> can you can you put your finger on this unbelievable success that you guys are having, Carrie? Definitely, um, we found bringing uh, Reed on board um, had uh, changed a, a little bit of the dynamic and stuff, and just brought a little bit of uh, lightness to the team. And we definitely uh, love having him as a coach. And yeah, we just like to just go out and have fun and just make some curling shots and don't put so much pressure on ourselves. So uh, I definitely uh, that's kind of what, how we uh, how we roll. <laughs> Uh, before we bring in Kevin, I, I guess because I did mention, I guess I should ask you about the the craziness with all these teams breaking up. Do, does it surprise you, Carrie? And do you have a do you have a thought on what's going on there? Um, it doesn't really surprise me actually because uh, it happens every four years. Basically, there is usually a few teams that do stay together, but um, yeah, this year there's basically everyone except for us. So. Uh, yeah, some of the changes didn't really surprise me. I uh, kind of figured they were going to happen, but uh, it'll, it'll be uh, interesting to see next year. Good, and good luck against all of them, yeah. Go, Kevin? Well, hey, Kerry, thanks a lot for doing this and taking you off the craps table for a little bit. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know what? You, you're you really starting to make, uh, I guess certain teams have certain um, MOs, like certain things that they, they do. And yours seems to be making it really, really exciting for the crowd. Uh, the score was seven to two, and then it was seven to three, coming coming back in in six. So if you noticed, I think you noticed. I came down with the microphone. I thought the game would be over. So then, nope, Gary Anderson doesn't do things that way. So you missed the draw for one in the sixth. So then in the seventh, I stayed up top and some of the guys were walking around the cameraman and stuff. And I said, well, it's never over till it's over. And they said, oh, it's over. It's over. She'll make the one that matters. And sure enough, so then in the eighth end, now it's seven to six coming home. That rock was almost fully buried that you had to tap out. And all I heard was the word clean, 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 tap, victory. It's becoming your thing, Carrie, which I think is fantastic. Is it on purpose? 
<laughs> Definitely not on purpose. <laughs> but a few championships you've had lately have been kind of like that. Yeah, it's just like we would just miss a shot by literally an inch, like, or not even. Like that double in seven, literally I feathered it. We just, yeah, like to keep our fans on the edge of their seats, you know? We got to keep everyone still dialed in. <laughs> but it, uh, we definitely don't make it easy on ourselves, that's for sure. Like, we put ourselves in a tiebreaker, and, uh, yeah, we uh, we just love curling. So why not play extra games and extra ends? <laughs> well, that goes to my next thing. Yes, the, the tiebreaker and then a bunch of games. And I guess I, I just want to hear from you the... Well, your front end for sure, but your whole team, um, the fitness level to be able to uh, do that because going through the tie break is so difficult because then you've got the sem the quarterfinals, then the semis all in one day. Yeah, we uh, definitely put a lot of work in the gym, um, getting ourselves uh, in shape for um, marathons like that. Yeah, definitely just making sure we uh, we get that feeling ourselves uh, in between games. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of our thing once we get on a roll and um, just start feeling really comfortable with the ice. Yeah, we just uh, make quite a few shots and my front end's amazing. They set it up. Val uh, cleans it up if we need, need be. And yeah, so they're amazing teammates and uh, great shot makers. And yeah, I'm very lucky to have them as part of my team. I just have one more, and then we'll let Warren in here. Um, in the quarterfinal, you played uh, Team Kim, and er, sorry, in the tiebreaker, you played Team Kim, and then in the final, uh, you played Unji Gim, both South Korea teams. The growth in South Korea is quite phenomenal right now, and from a player's perspective, how do you look at that growth in these various areas of the world? And these teams have come on in a real hurry. And I guess I just want to hear your thoughts on in the women's game, the growth worldwide and, and what that means going forward. Well, that's their jobs is to curl. They get those opportunities where like for ourselves, where we can't, we have jobs and um, can't always just curl as much as I would love to do that. Um, they get a lot more time to train as a team and we play a lot of events, but we, we would like to have more training all four of us five of us i know we benefit from we have our training weekends we learn so much out of it and compared to like traveling all the time and playing a whole bunch of games we've definitely uh um, noticed that in our training weekends hi carrie and congratulations again on your win this last weekend and in your very successful season Let's talk about the last uh, few years. Just to hit the highlights, you've won four Scotties, four Slams, a World Bronze, and now we're heading into the next quad. You've got the same team. You're setting goals. You're working out a training program. Val lives in Edmonton. The other three of you are in Winnipeg, or pardon me, Manitoba, I guess. And how are you going to uh, plan the next uh, four years as far as your schedule, what your goals are, or have you got to that point yet? We haven't uh, sat down and talked about that yet, but I know our goal is to get back to the world stage again and also to get to the Olympics. So we're uh, definitely going to be uh, working hard towards that um, leading into the next few years. I want to talk about something else we've never discussed much with uh, any other players, and that's sponsorship. And again, uh, a new quad, which means you've all had sponsors. You're, some people are changing teams, so sponsors are going to change. How does that uh, all work for your team? Uh, you go forward and you all solicit people to become sponsors. Uh, how important is it to uh, get a lot of television coverage with regard to selling a sponsor? Tell us about that whole process for your team. 
Yeah, to be honest, it was a struggle for the last three years trying to find sponsors. And um, we appreciate uh, the ones that stuck with us and that are uh, have been with us for the last few years. And if it wasn't for sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do what we love. So we um, appreciate everything they do for us. It's definitely challenging to, to find those sponsors. And um, when you can get on TV as much as you can and uh, show off their logo as much as possible, and um, advertise and so I know reaching uh, so many uh, extra TV games so like tiebreakers that's perfect (laughs) yeah we're finally starting to get uh, some good sponsors and create some um, relationships with them and uh, it's nice to uh, to be able to get the chance to do that so for any potential sponsors out there listening to us, uh, your team is open to offers. Is that correct? Always. Of course. <laughs> Why don't we sponsor? Why doesn't Inside Curling? I got an idea. Yeah. Come on board. I want my name on the logo, Inside Curling. We'll uh, we'll uh, take it straight yeah, from your okay. paycheck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting question for you, and this hasn't been talked about yet, but this next fall is going to be uh, interesting. Something new happening, and the fact that uh, I'm not sure what this event is being called anymore, but it was the Asia Pacific Championship that now Canada is going to be part of. And to get into the next world championship on a women's and men's side, Canada is going to have to, I think, finish in the top six in that event. I believe it's going to be held in Canada. I've heard some rumors, but I won't go so far as to saying where. Has your team been approached about this? Are you representing Canada in this competition? And where does that all sit? Um, actually, we're not really too sure yet. We haven't heard a lot about it, but we know that it's in Canada. And definitely, I'm sure it's going to be talked about uh, with the next couple of weeks. We thought Canada was uh, straight in, but I guess not. <laughs> no, not anymore. So how do you feel about uh, being the team that has to go forward and play in that event? Is that something you'd like to do or...? A little nervous about it or what's your thoughts definitely i uh, love to get that opportunity uh to represent canada and uh, help get canada into the worlds so you think that's a pretty fair process the way they've put that whole thing together now compared to what it used to be yeah i would say so definitely puts a lot of pressure on that team that is uh, having to do that <laughs> it's a lot of fun and should be uh should be a great event too uh, Carrie, I have a question for you, just to back up uh, a second. Before I do that, how was the experience of shooting a commercial with the Trailer Park Boys? <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Like, I'm a huge Trailer Park Boys fan. Right. So I watch all their episodes and everything and movies. And so I felt like a little fangirl um, <laughs> out there. How they are uh, in real life and how they are in TV is they're pretty much the same. So they are a great group of guys and uh, we had so much fun with them. Yeah, I'm a fan too. I was, when Leahy died, it was just awful for us Trailer Park Boyfriends. Um, you had mentioned earlier a few minutes ago uh, when um, the boys were asking you about the Asian girls and how well they did. And you had said, well, it's because it's full time, because it's a job for them and they get to do it full time. Uh, so the obvious obvious is if we could do that full-time we would you know it would be better what needs to happen carrie for canadian teams to be able to curl full-time it all uh, goes back to money and being able to have that backup if you need it like to not work like again like it's 
like sponsors and funding and and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's and we got so many uh, amazing Canadian teams. Um, how do you just fund a couple teams? So it's very difficult for uh, um, Canadian curling athletes to be able to just uh, curl full time and not work. It's definitely has crossed my mind. So I could put in that extra time and spend that extra time with my family because as soon as I get home from an event, I'm right back at work making the girls uh, their lunches in the morning, sending them off to school, and then I go to work, and then I come home, cook them supper, and then I'm like, hey, girls, I got to go practice. And so, like, I feel like I don't get to see and spend enough time with them. And um, I feel like if I didn't have a job and I could just curl, I could train during the day, then I can spend that extra quality time with my family in the evenings. So I've definitely thought about it, but I also I love my job. So I love what I do and I love going to work and seeing the residents and my co-workers. So I also wouldn't want to leave that. Carrie, thanks a million for coming on and uh, good luck in Vegas. Okay, what's your game? Blackjack, craps, slots? What are you playing? Oh, usually I just play the slots, but I'm not a big gambler. But my husband and them are going to teach me how to play craps today. So we'll see how that goes over. <laughs> we'll watch for you on Poker Stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big day. <laughs> Uh, Carrie, phenomenal, phenomenal what you've done, and and keep the keep the train rolling. Uh, you're you're making all Canadians proud for what you've done and uh, what you are accomplishing, and and I, I bet there's bigger and greater things to come for you if it can get bigger and greater. Uh, but but we'll be watching. So thank thanks a lot, Carrie, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful summer, Carrie. We'll see you next fall. Yes, for sure. You guys. Too. Good luck in the rodeo. Oh yeah, I might become a rodeo girl. So there we have it. Hands down, Kevin, one of the most successful curlers in the world. Oh, no question. No question. And, and the exciting part for their team is staying together, staying together to start the next quadrennial uh, as a team, as a well-oiled machine. They know exactly how to win. Um, you know, So they're, they're going to be really looking good for next year as well. But yes, yeah, they've won so much in the last few years. It's been wonderful. Yeah. What do you think, Warren? I think I agree with Kevin, the fact that that team is sticking together and how good they are. They've already got a, a leg up over the uh, opposition for the next four-year period because these new teams, you have no idea. They may gel really well and one of them may become very strong or they may struggle. And that was one of the things in Christina's article that was mentioned by a number of the people that she interviewed is, well, it's a crapshoot. We don't really know for sure what we're getting into. And I think particularly was Kevin Cooey has said, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never played with Tyler Tardy. Mm -hmm. So... Who knows? Uh, but certainly it gives them, uh, I think, the edge going forward, the fact that they're sticking together and they are and they are very successful. Yeah. And she had an interesting comment about, uh, you know, the Asian teams are, it's a job. So it was kind of a sideways comment for her going, we can't do that. So it's no, it's no wonder people are coming up on the heels of Canadian curling. Well, once again, with this job thing, I think we need to emphasize the fact that the players in places like Korea and maybe Sweden, Scotland, that are doing this full-time as a job, they aren't getting rich. They're getting by by what they're doing. And many of the curlers in Canada, because they have families, livelihoods, careers, aren't in the same position that some of these other countries are. So it isn't the fact that they're getting wads of money. They're getting enough to get by. Right. Uh, okay. Thanks a lot to uh, Goldline for bringing you uh, in the house. And thank you to Carrie. Uh, time for story time. Uh, we do it each and every week. 
Storytime is brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Thanks a lot to Meridian for that. Warren, you got a story for us this week. I do. It's kind of a, an interesting little tidbit, and it goes back to, I said, I'm going to come back and tell you another story that Matt Baldwin has a, a finger in. So if we go back into the perils of time, the Canadian Curling Association was originally the Dominion Curling Association. That changed in 1967 when it went from the DCA to the CCA. But prior to that happening, the old DCA had decided that they were going to buy a set of curling stones because at that point in time, the curling stones for the Briar or any other national championship were pretty much taken from the local area. And there had been a lot of complaints, a lot of problems. So the Dominion Curling Association brought this brought this very good set of Alice Craig Blue Hone stones before the days of inserts and purchased them to be used only in the Briar. Now, the first interesting thing is, of course, a curling stone in those days had two, two edges on it. And you flipped the, the rock after a couple of years of wear, so the wear was even on both edge. Somebody didn't think this through very carefully because they engraved DCA on the side of the stone. So if he had flipped it, the DCA would have been <laughs> upside down. So that was the first mistake. <laughs> the next thing was they brought these rocks into play. And of course, uh, a brand new curling stone in those days, having never been used on a sheet of curling ice, uh, hadn't been worn in at all. And it was a different set of conditions. And newly sharpened rocks were crazy. So they brought these brand new stones and they put them into the briar where they hadn't been used anywhere prior. And so initially, right back in 68, 69, uh, when these things were first introduced, uh, people were complaining from day one. Somewhere along the line, they were put down on ice somewhere. So what happened immediately, we've all heard the term pitting with regard to a curling rock and its running edge. And so pitting occurs when you put the rock down on the ice and it's warmer than the ice surface. It melts the ice. The water gets into the running edge of the stone, and when it freezes, it expands, and it virtually takes chunks or pits out of the rock. So somewhere along the line, about 1970, 71, this happened. And Matt Baldwin played in the 71 Briar, and these rocks were horrific. And so he started to scream and yell uh, at that point in time, is get rid of these rocks. Uh, they were going to send them to Newfoundland from Quebec City in 71 to play. He was in the 72 Briar. He wanted it to be thrown into the Atlantic Ocean on the way across in the boat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> made all sorts of comments. But uh, they had the continuing problems there with the pitting. So finally, they, the rocks ended up in Edmonton for the 73 Briar. Herb Olson was the ice maker for the 73 Briar, but Herb Olson also reconditioned curling stones. So Herbie sharpened these rocks. And I can still remember, I was on the ice for BC, and I can remember, I think it was sheet A, these, there was two rocks that would actually go down the roof. They'd curl and they'd back up. They'd curl and they'd back up. So they'd do about three hoops for the length of the ice. <laughs> so so Herbie's, <laughs> Herbie's fix wasn't very good. And then, and then we played in the 74 Briar, and, and unbelievably, um, good thing I was there on the ice in 73 because those three rocks were still doing the same thing they were in 73. And uh, we fortunately played Saskatchewan the first game in the Briar. And uh, guess what? They were throwing those rocks and we weren't. So we were well aware of what was going on. But anyway, finally through a, a lot of screaming and yelling. And again, Matt Baldwin kind of leading the course. Following the 74 Briar, the rocks were sold. They had never been used on the second edge. They stayed on the first edge because if you flip them again, the DCA would have been upside down. Right. So this very good set of Alice Craig Blue Hones were sold to the Windsor Curling Club in 1975. 
Maybe they're still there, I don't know, but they were never heard of again. And that was the Canadian Curling Association's first tr journey into owning their own stones. How did you find all this stuff out, Warren? <laughs> oh my God. How do you? <laughs> well, interesting enough, Jim, a lot of the stuff is written down in bits and pieces of, of stuff all over the place. And uh, mm -hmm. over time, I've collected tons and tons of information. So there, there's all kinds of quirky stories about, about all kinds of different things that are out there, particularly right. old curling news that goes back into the 50s. Uh, a lot of stuff written in those uh, publications. Kevin, how do they sharpen rocks? Well, it's a little different now than when Herbie was doing it back in the, <laughs> in that time. But it's it's they're very precise now. The computerized equipment um, and, and cutting tools to uh, to make curling stones they 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 come out quite exact now. Uh, I know that every time I say that the rocks aren't as good out of the box as they are once they've tenderized a bit, I always get <laughs> I get letters from all the different rock manufacturers. But I'm right; they're not. I'm the curler guy. Uh, they do get better with time. I always say like wine. Oh, there you go. And then I always get get uh, emails and stuff from all these guys, but it's no problem. They're they're done on a on a grinding apparatus. We, you know what? We should. I, I might have to get uh, to get some some video together um, on that. That's that'll be really fun. That's cool. a good project, Jimmy. Thank you. And the other thing thing to note is the rocks that they're using in a curling club today uh, aren't having the same process done to them for the most part as they are when we're playing in arenas where they, again, take sandpaper to virtually scratch that running surface, which is uh, to make it able to curl more into the harder surface in an arena versus a curling club. And for people who Google stuff like that, Kevin, your Google search is not as smart as my World Curling Hall of Fame buddy, Kevin Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's easier to draw the button with the rocks after a little while than at the very start. That's right. I can say that about you too, Warren, okay? Your your Google knowledge of curling is nowhere near, okay, my World Curling Hall of Famer buddy, Warren Hansen. So uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We really want to thank Rod Paulson, of course, who uh, looks after all our Facebook stuff and the Facebook page. Uh, I'll tell you why you want to tune in, Kev, and Warren, to the Facebook stuff, because the, the, the comments are so lively, and some of them are over the top, Warren, that, uh, and almost offensive that we got to take some of them down once in a while. So get on there early and catch those comments before we have to block them. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of great stuff on there. So thanks a lot to Rod uh, and In-House Strategies for doing that. So join our Facebook group. Also, a reminder again, send us emails. Uh, keep, keep pouring those in. We use a bunch of them all the time. And, of course, we read one or two on every show. InsideCurling at gmail.com. Kev, take your temperature, okay? <laughs> get the Vicks Vapo Rub, Kev, on the chest, okay? And get back to bed. Thanks a lot for powering through, Kevin. And Warren, thank you very much. You've been listening to Inside Curling. We'll be back next week with another show. Take care, everybody. See you, Kevin. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.